stories. I like them a lot. I like Bible stories. Um, there is a big story. There's a big Bible story, the, the big story arc that starts with creation and goes all the way to the end of Revelation, from the beginning of time to the end of time. And preachers regularly, you know, just pick things out and talk about them without necessarily highlighting the, the sense of their relationship to the grand narrative, the big story arc. I do this. Uh, I, I don't mean them. <laughs> I do this too. I do it all the time. Um, and I particularly noticed this when I was doing youth ministry for 15 years. So I started to try and deal with that issue with the J test. So here are some famous characters, I would say, and it just so happens that all of their names start with J. So now let's go and together put these fellas women in chronological order. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized that there are a lot of characters in the Bible whose names begin with J. It's unbelievable. Like, there's a lot and more than you'd probably even believe. So, uh, I want to tell you some stories about people whose names start with J and how they fit in. And then I want you to see uh, where their individual stories fall on the great big story arc or within that grand narrative. So the last time we talked, we started with a little tiny bit about a guy named Jacob and a whole lot about a guy named Joseph. Joseph's story is big, lots of information. It takes a lot of time to tell, even when you try to do it at high speed. So to keep the chronological order, we had the J, so Jacob, then Joseph. So not everything in the Bible is grouped together in chronological order. It's important for you to know that. The separate historical documents are all arranged intentionally, but they are not necessarily arranged chronologically. Re remember, they were all written as separate documents, individual manuscripts for individual reasons, and then they were later, years later, years and years later, they were arranged into the order that we now see and just assume that's the way it has always been. So first, there's individual stories. Second, there are stories that fit in, we want to put the stories in the correct chronological order. Third, how does that particular story fit into the grand narrative? And then fourth, not everything in the Bible is a story, so how do we deal with that? Uh, those are some of the questions I just want you to have kept in your mind as we now board the J train and start to take a look around. Now, as we do that, first thing I want to bring to you is an important piece of context. And honestly, it's something that in general we are oblivious to. Christians in the West must understand that this relative ease in our life experience is historically unusual. Every time we open our Bibles, it's good to remember that almost every single word that's there was written by someone who had been tortured, enslaved, imprisoned, exiled, or some combination thereof, their life looks different than ours. And that little bit helps us to consider things beyond our regular, everyday life. The next thing um, are genres. And some of you have heard the word genre. What are they? What do they do? Different styles of writing that have different purposes. So, just for the ease of illustration, imagine a newspaper. And for the ease of me, imagine a newspaper from when I was a child, okay? Because that's what I'm going to think of. That's how it is. I know you all remember my childhood. It was very important to you. Well, more important to me. But a newspaper works well if we want to compare it to the Bible, simply that it's all wrapped together. 
it's all on the same paper. The fonts are gen generally the same. The typeset is generally the same. But within it, we know that there are different things. There's the front page, right? And even on the front page, there are different genres that you see noticed there. There's a date. Well, a, a date is a, a very specific kind of information. There's the title, uh, the, the newspaper. Um, and then there are the headlines. Man does something, usually something bad, because that's what we put on the newspaper. Um, if it's on the internet, it starts with Florida man does something, because those are the most entertaining stories. So we have the headlines, and then we get stories. And then on the same, um, the same page, you can sometimes get summaries of this is what's still inside. You should look inside for more. And then if you're a child like me, and we only really ever got the Saturday paper, we went looking for the comics, right. And so when you get to the comics, you know that's a whole different kind of thing. Don't work too hard to make jokes about what a newspaper is and stuff like that now. Let's just call them all separate genres. In there, you're also going to find obituaries. You're going to find classified ads. You're going to see letters to the editor and editorials from an editor. You have news stories all within this one unit called a newspaper. Those are multiple genres. You read them differently. They have different things to say to you. They express different levels of experience. So in your, in your regular life, we have a comic book kind of thing. You have a novel. You have a textbook. You have a number of different things that you can read. Those are all genres. Well, within the Bible, there are many genres as well. Okay? And it is very important to know the genre that you're reading of whatever it is you're reading, so that you can read it with the correct level of understanding. They're not all the same. Everything that's in the Bible is not the same. It makes it trickier because we can't know with 100% accuracy um, every genre because sometimes they're mixed. Some genres are disputed. Genesis 1, for example. Is it narrative or is it poetry? Literal or symbolic? Is, it, is literal good and symbolic bad? Some books have several styles, several genres within them, and they are flexible. They flow in and out of another. And because of this, we must not um, let the proposed genre of a book be the only tool that we use to find meaning within that text, okay? So this is important when we're dealing with our stories because there have always been toxic articulations of what we could call orthodox belief. Slave masters, for example, believed in the inspiration of Scripture, and they used the Scriptures to say what they wanted to say at the same time that those same passages were being used by other people to describe a God of, of liberation and holiness and freedom. Same stuff, different people came to it. So, that's the genre side. The timeline is the next big thing. The great, big, J-filled timeline. Remember, these are not going to be the only characters in the Bible. These are just the ones with names that start with J. So, Noah's Ark is where we're going to start. Way back in Genesis chapter 6, carries on until Genesis chapter 9, we get Noah's sons. There's Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Yes, and that's so big. And then we get to Job. Job, um, about 2100 B.C., we meet up with Job. And the book of Job is set up like a court case. Some have... Uh, genre disagreements about Job. Is Job historical narrative, or is it an inspired play? Um, how are we supposed to read 
uh, Job, what, what is the way that we're supposed to interact with? So, in the Jewish Scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament, um, we, we find that it's divided up into sections as well, three main sections. And the first of those main sections is called the writings. Not the first that appears, but the first that I'm talking about. So, Job is in the writings, and he, it's, it's in the section called Wisdom Literature. Wisdom Literature is the section um, that w- where we find um, stuff that is written that has a specific focus on transferring wisdom kind of information. We call the big section the writings. Um, so, we have the genre is, the, is wisdom literature, and the section is the writings. So, the first section in the writings is poetry, biblical uh, poetry, scripture written in verse. Now, probably not your verse, but Hebrew verse. And the type of scripture, this stuff is filled with um, symbolic language and, and metaphors and word pictures, expressions of feeling. Psalms make up the majority of biblical poetry, but poetry can be found also in the Song of Solomon, in Lamentations, and in it's seven other parts of Old Testament narratives. So, there's several authors for Psalms, but the, David is definitely the big name. He is the highlight guy there. So, we have poetry under writings. We also have wisdom under the writings, and we have something like Proverbs there. So, wisdom literature is Scripture that reveals the collective wisdom of generations of godly people. We have it in compact form. Wisdom literature invites us to explore the complexity of wise living and gives us general rules for life. That's where Job fits. These tend to be uh, frequently sayings or proverbs, uh, writings that communicate principles that are usually true, but not universally true. It's important to get that sort of distinction. And so, here we find principles, not promises. So, wisdom literature is found in Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. But who is this Job fella, you are saying to yourself? So, Job 1.1, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. What a great thing to have people say about you. But then what happened to Job? Verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. So, Satan comes in to challenge God and says that Job only serves you and obeys you um, because of all of his blessings. You take that away, though, and he will curse you. So, that's the, the short version of this story is everything is taken away. Uh, and, and then Job says, verse 21, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord take away, has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Many people today think of Satan as a little red demon or a big red demon with horns and a, and a pointy tail and a pitchfork, uh, but this vision of the devil developed over many centuries, and this would be entirely foreign to the writers of the Old Testament. Uh, where, where this figure makes his, his first kind of appearances. The earliest texts always mention the Satan. It's always the Satan 
in the Old Testament. So Satan is a word that becomes a name, and that word means adversary or accuser. And this is a great place to see that come to life, the courtroom scene, right? After all this bad has happened, rain down on Job. Thankfully, Job's wife, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, she rolls in and she says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Ah, oh, the wonderful partnership of marriage, the help meet someone who's there for you whenever you need it. There she was for him. Story goes on. Lots happens. There are many discussions with friends. And here you go. Friends, or they really are friends. They offer some dubious yet very common advice. If you have been in a struggle in your life, if you've faced hard things and bad things have gone on, you have met some of Job's friends, and they were your friends. They were your family members who have said these things to you. Things similar, perhaps, to what Job's wife said, curse God and die. Except the friends say, well, somehow we know this is your fault. Somehow we know that you have done something. Somehow you were evil, that's why you got it. Somehow you're evil now, that's why it won't stop. Somehow it's on you. As a pastor, as a husband, as a friend, don't say that to people. Okay, you, you don't know what's going on in these circumstances. And your godly wisdom that says you must be evil and therefore it's your fault, it's inaccurate, it's unkind, and it is certainly unhelpful. You have the potential to aid people in these circumstances and not just heap on them. If God is mad at them, then God will draw them into repentance. Your generous gift of condemnation will not help that process go forward. Very important that we get to that. But, but, but if you've been in this kind of experience, reading what Job's friends say to him is so good for you to say, oh man, I've heard that, and then take into consideration 2,000 years before Christ this is being written, you go, my goodness, people are the same. Draws Job to an important declaration. We get to that. Job 28. So, time has passed. Lots has gone on. They talk a lot in this book. So, he says in uh, verse 28, the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. To shun evil is understanding. Key point in Job's life that he gets a bigger picture. And then the story, of course, goes on and much happens. A lot of it now is, is Joel, uh, Job's deep soul-searching. Um, he releases some of his anger, some of his frustration, some of his accusations to God where he's frustrated in there. And then as part of the overcoming section, Job allows his experience also to release more wisdom. Job 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And Job ends as faithful. Timeline continues. Jacob, whom we talked about briefly last time, and then Joseph comes, whom we talked about lots last episode. These are J characters, just putting them in the right timeline. What happened first 
historically. That's going to take us to the next major section of the Jewish Scriptures that we're just going to breeze through as well. Again, it's called the Law or the Torah. And Torah can mean the entire Old Testament, or it can mean just the first five books, or it can mean the first 20-something books. And the first five books, though, are uh, Genesis, you know these, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, these guys also go by the name of the Pentateuch, the five books. So, in terms of genre, we see a lot of narrative in this section. So, the genre is narrative. The section is the law. Biblical law is Scripture that outlines God's commands to His covenant people. When you read the Old Testament, understand that the laws are written towards the covenant people because that's who was in covenant. So, these laws come in several forms. There's the moral law, laws about how to live uh, for all people in all times. Then there's ceremonial laws that you find in there. There's laws about the tabernacle and temple worship for the Israelites. Then there's civil or judicial law, laws that are governed, uh, preserved, and protected uh, Israelite society. That's what they were for. And it is important to remember, again, that these, the law was given after God redeemed, saved, and rescued the Israelites. So, we kind of lost a J guy in the middle there, but uh, grace came before the law. So, in terms of our big story, we got grace, but it happened after, well, I guess I could say Joseph was the start of grace, saved them from the famine, right? The law was designed to be used by governing authorities. It's, it wasn't so much for individuals. It was a communal kind of living. It wasn't about just me. It was about us. There was always an us there. So, the biblical law, you can find that stuff in Leviticus, parts of Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And I know that just saying that, that that's where you're going this afternoon. You got to, I want to read some more biblical law. I got to get some of that action. So, this gets us up to the end of Moses' life. God uses Joseph to get the people safe uh, from the famine by getting them into Egypt, right? Time passes, Joseph is forgotten, and the people of Joseph become slaves. God then uses Moses to get them out, to free them from slavery. After Moses, we meet his successor. He's important because his name starts with a J. We got Joshua, the secret hiding place for the story of Joshua. You will find the book of Joshua. Not a good hiding place at all. It's right in the name. Uh, Joshua becomes the successor to Moses. We get that story in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Joshua, given the task of cleaning and entering the promised land. God promised the land, here you go. And so Joshua led, with God's help, led the people in, and they conquered the land of Canaan. And they distributed the land um, to the 12 tribes. <coughs> Joshua is featured in a very famous song. This will help you remember it, no doubt. Ten men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad, and two were good. Not as famous. All right. Uh, Twelve saw the land. They're flowing with milk and honey. You've heard that phrase. A wonderful place to live. It's beautiful. Ten saw the wonder of the place, but were overwhelmed by the fortifications, the weaponry, the size of the people living there. Two saw the land flowing with milk and honey, and they were convinced that if God had called them to this, then no opposition would be too much. And Joshua was one of the two. 
So there are two key pieces or sections of Scripture that, that kind of bookend Joshua's life that I think are really important for summarizing him and good for us as well. So first, the beginning of his leadership. We get uh, right at Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 2. God is speaking. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Verse 3, I will give you every piece where you, where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Important there to hear the language again. Whenever you get a passage like this, what does it reveal? What do we see about God? And there we see a key um, way that He interacts. It's through relationship. I made a promise to a guy. I made it. I said I was going to do it. I'm going to do it because I have a relationship with that guy. And that relationship that I had with that guy that you saw for your whole life, now it's on you. You're the guy. You're the guy that I'm going to have a relationship with. Right? So that's the, the, the nature of what's going on with God. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Eight, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. Verse nine, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I will be with you. The promise of relationship. Strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Just like Jesus later teaches again and again and again. Fear not. Why? Why should I not fear things that makes sense to fear. This is not about denying reality. This is about ordering reality. Order it. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Relationship. You are not alone. You are neither hidden from sight nor lost from view. You are being guided and you are being supported in whatever it is that you have been called to face as you've been called to face it, you can understand, because of the repetition here, that there will be things that will cause you fear. Be strong and courageous. You will need to be. I have commanded you to be. I'm letting you know up front, it's going to be hard. It's not going to go your way all the time. You're going to need to fight in this. You are going to need to put yourself in and trust so that you can be strong and courageous to face whatever it is that you have been called to face, but you will never face it alone. Fear not. Trust. Follow. Overcome. Bear up under. Come 
through. Our story is one of championing through. Not around, but through. And that's what Joshua leads the people to do. And they go on. Then, the end of his leadership, Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, he's talking to the people. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors that, that, that served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in, in, in whose land you are now living. But as for me, my household, oh, we will serve the Lord. And that summary is one of those things that echoes throughout the rest of the story of the Old Testament. The plague that keeps following them. It's easy for us to distance ourselves and say, they, have, they, them, those guys, long ago, they had a problem with idols because they're crazy, right? Who would ever think of bowing down and worshiping a piece of stone or wood? Ha, those guys. After all they'd seen by God, how could those guys ever do something like that? And it's so easy for us to separate ourselves because, well, geesh, we don't have idols, right? None of us have idols. We don't do that. It's not an issue for us. Thank goodness. Too bad about those guys. Idolatry is when you put something else in the place of God. So when you make a decision, it's about ordering your world. It's about what comes first. It's about the decision pathway that you go through. So an idol just happens to be one of those things that, in their case, a lot of them would say, and also. I just got an and also. I'm sure I believe in God, but, but, but also let's, let's, let's keep ourselves in the good graces of these other places, these other people, these other beings. Idolatry is something that we struggle with. It says, I will put something else in the place of God, something else that I'll make my decisions based on, something else that I will consider. And when we say that, man, it is really easy for us to see, well, uh, success. We make a lot of a lot of choices about what I can get away with to be successful, whatever we call success. Money is a really big one. E even, even more helpful if you understand that the idea of money and wealth, that, has, that was a god named Mammon. When, when, you, when you want that, when that's your choice, when that's going to be, I'll make my decision to that end. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what I compromise. I'll get the money. The money is what I needed. Then understand that the god that you serve, his name is Mammon. It's not Jehovah. It's not the Lord that you're serving at that point. So idolatry is a huge problem for Israel. It doesn't stop being a problem for Israel, and it doesn't stop being a problem for us. And one of the worst things that we can do is sort of assume that it's not an issue for us, and so we just keep going on. Order your world. Jesus first. Everything else after. It changes the way that you live. It really really does. But back to our timeline. We're going to go a little bit faster here. Um, just the J's. Jer, Jephthah, Jeroboam the first, Jehoshaphat, Jehoraham, Jorham, Jehu, Jehoiada, and then Joel. Boy, we got a great selection of baby names right there. If you're thinking baby names, man, that's what we're going to, that's what we're providing you. Free service here. Uh, Joel, 835 B.C. B.C. again is before Christ. Or Modern language now would say BCE. 
If you've seen that, BCE means before common era. The common era, well, it just happens to be when they move the, the, the thing to zero, right? And it's because of Jesus, because of Christ. But if you don't really like that part of the story, just call it the common era, right? So that's why the language has changed. CE is, beast, or, uh, is AD, because AD means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And if you don't have a Lord, then common error is what works. So anyways, Joel, there we are. Uh, the prophet Joel, he preached to the people of Judah. Judah is a kingdom. Israel got split into two parts. Judah's the south, Israel's the north. Joel spoke to the people in the south. He expressed a great deal of interest in Jerusalem. He also made several comments on the praise uh, of the people, the use of the temple. He knew about that center of worship for the whole country, which was in Judah, Jerusalem. He spoke about what was, what should be, and what will be. Joel takes us to our next section, our next biblical section. We've got the writings, we've got the law, and now you've got the prophets. When Jesus later on will talk about the law and the prophets, He means the whole Old Testament. There He means the law is the writings and the Torah and the Pentateuch. But there are three main sections, the writings, the law, and the prophets. We are now in the prophets, and the genre that we're going to look at is prophecy, all right? Prophecy is calling for repentance of the people. That is the prime key function of prophecy. There's some focus on future events, but mostly it's a call to return to God, to restore the relationship. Relationship is key in all of these sections. Joel is one of the earliest prophets who was writing something down. Who was one of his guys who worked at the same time? Elisha. Elisha's name doesn't start with a J, but he's a really important guy anyways. Joel, Elisha work in the same timeline. Biblical prophecy, Scripture that recounts visions or specific messages from God about the future or about the people that you're with right now. So these prophecies were directed at God's own people but not just them, also to other kings from other nations that were around in the time of the prophets. So some prophecies were meant only for their original audience. Uh, some were meant for an audience much, much later in the future, and some for both. Not all the prophets have their own books of the Bible. Sorry, prophets. Uh, their prophecies are interwoven throughout the historical na narrative in both estimates. Um, so some of those guys you'd get uh, Moses, um, Balaam, great story about Balaam and his friend. Uh, Elijah, Elisha. New Testament examples uh, are, are John the Baptist, uh, John the Apostle. Books that are totally dedicated to prophecy are separated into major and minor categories, not because of their importance, but because of their length. That's why they don't always fit chronologically. So, major prophets include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jay, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Minor prophets, here we go. That includes Hosea, our buddy Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. If someone tells you he's an Italian prophet and his name is Malici, they are incorrect. That is not who he is. Only two J's in there, but enough to move our timeline forward. Three J's, not two. Uh, what's Joel famous for saying? Joel chapter 2, verse 13, rend your heart, not your garments. 
This theme comes up in, in the prophecy a lot. Rend your heart, not your garments. Rending your garments would be an outward physical sign that everyone could see. It's a religious thing that you do. And he says, rend your heart. I don't want the show. I don't want you to show them. That's not the point. This is a real um, dig at outward religion. I'm not concerned if you go to church. I'm not concerned if you give. I'm not concerned if you serve. I want you to change your heart. When your heart is changed, those things happen. You will attend. You will give. You will serve. That's just what happens. But if you think that in place of your heart being transformed, you can just do those things and somehow God doesn't catch on, you're wrong. What He longs for is relationship, always relationship. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Another thing, Joel 28, 20, no, 2, 28. Afterward, after the day of the Lord, I will pour out My Spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Really important to realize that up to this point, they have been working as a collective. There is a country. They are bound together. Periodically, someone would have the spirit of the Lord poured out on them. When we talk about the judges, they would have the spirit of God poured out on them. When there was a king, the spirit of the Lord would be poured out on the king. Certain of the prophets would have the spirit poured out for the benefit of the community, but on an individual. And Joel's here saying there come, there's coming a time after the day of the Lord, when that one guy, that gets changed. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And he says, your sons, do you see what the next two words are? Still there? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It is really important in this world that we live in right now because it becomes an issue again. It always seems to uh, travel in cycles, but it's an issue again that it's coming up. Your sons and your daughters. It's clear. It's not all people. It's your sons and your daughters. Daughters, women are included. There have been many years, many people like me, who have made that part unclear. That somehow there was a second level, loved by God, but not treated the same. God is a God of relationship. If you are a woman, a daughter, a girl, you are included. You are wanted. You are not second class. Beloved. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The next one, the old men. Another group that kind of feels like they might be second class. Young people get to do it all, right? They're the ones, they're moving, they're active. 
old people, your time. Sit down. Get away. Your time of importance to God doesn't have a retirement date. You might retire from your profession. Bless you if that's you. You made it. But your importance to God doesn't adjust based on your age. Your old men will dream dreams, and dreams, dreaming dreams is normally something that's associated with youth, looking forward. We will dream dreams. We will plan plans. We will go places. We will do things. It's for the young. And here, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. 29, even on my servants, both men and women, both men and women, my servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. It is such an important thing to see that this is still hidden deep in the Old Testament, this promise, this revelation, this is what is coming. For them, it wasn't what they were experiencing. It was the promise of what's to come after the day of the Lord. After the day of the Lord comes, that these things will begin to happen. And they longed for that, the one day that would come. Joel 2, 32, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is not something that you are born into. It is not something that you have the right to. It is not something that you earned. It's not something that you were good enough for. It's not because of your talent. It's not because of your money. It's not because of what you have done. It's not because you prayed a lot. It's not because you served a lot. It is because you called upon the name of the Lord, which means that it is open to anyone. It is available to everyone. Joel said some really important things. God gave him these messages for his people 800 years before Christ. 800 years before, these things are deep and important because of distortions that had already happened in the way society was moving along. Timeline. Speeding up again. Here we're going to go. Joash, Jehoahaz, Joash, Jeroboam II, Jonah. Now, Jonah, I'm pretty sure that you have heard at least a little something about Jonah. If you haven't, you should get the uh, VeggieTales movie, Jonah. It's a great story. You'll learn a lot in there. Jonah is, uh, is a key character. I'd love to give you lots more about Jonah. But you know what we did? Uh, you can go back on our uh, sermon archive. You can go back. We did a whole series on Jonah, four weeks. There is so much in that story that I'd love to be able to give you. But I'm trying to move through all of time, and it's a little bit tricky. And I want you to have lunch. So uh, we're going to keep going. Uh, Jotham, Josiah, Jeremiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and then Joseph, 40 B.C. There's Joseph. That's Jesus' daddy. And that's a good place for us to stop in this episode. Lots of J's, lots of stories, lots of faithfulness, so much that we get to see in how God interacts with His people, with, with what His relationships look like from His point of view, what He's trying to do. We can learn so much about His character. And in the next section, well, that's going to become even more clear when we meet this really other 
important J guy. His name is Jesus. When we see Jesus, we meet the complete and perfect revelation of God. So tune in next episode for the giant revelation, a great big eyeful of what we continue to take in from some views from the J train. Father, thank You for Your faithfulness throughout time, throughout history. God, thank You for using people whose names start with J. Thank You for using, as Joel reminds us, all people. You desire to have a relationship with everyone. You don't force anyone, but You keep calling. You keep beckoning. You keep intersecting our story. Even when we try to live apart from You, You are there. And we constantly have the opportunity to follow You or to dismiss You. Lord Jesus, today, as we are brought once again into focus of Your desire for relationship, may it be ours as well. Our desire to have a relationship with You, one that grows, one that is full of life, one that is full of interaction, one that stands the test of time that is there for the good and the bad. May we order our lives well. Jesus first, everything else after. These cries from around us to put other things in your place, to make our decisions based on other things that we think should be first, whether it's money or power or sexuality or whether it is fame, whatever it is that we long for, the avoiding of embarrassment, whatever it is that we long for, may we put that in its place and subject it to Jesus, Jesus first, everything else after, that we might live our our lives in a well-ordered manner, that we would let things that are a secondary or of a tertiary quality be um, ordered properly, or would we let these things even fall away, that these would not become our demands, but that we would live in a relationship with You filled with trust, that we would follow after You, and as we do that, we would know that we are working in partnership with the God of the universe, the Creator of it all, the Holy Spirit, working and empowering from within us transform our lives into lives that are filled with worship, where we constantly recognize who you are, and we order you according to value at the top, the most important. Guide us forward this week as we're going to have to face hard things. We're going to face challenges. We're going to face disappointments. And in these places, God, Make us strong and courageous that we would be able to live with a fear-not mentality. I'm not alone. I'm not forgotten. It seems daunting in front of me, but if God goes with me, is there anything that cannot be accomplished? Not because of me, but because of the one that I'm with, the one who is with me. Provide peace to my friends that are here today, for for my friends that are listening at a distance. Provide peace today that our trust is safe with you.
Thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen.